You're listening to Out of Bounds with John McHenry and Gary Murphy. Hello, everybody. You're very welcome to our 12th edition of our podcast. I'm John McHenry. I'm Gary Murphy. We have a great show today, Gary. Uh, we're going to start talking about Shane Lowry's wonderful victory in the Bridgestone in Ohio, and we're going to follow that up with the amateurs. There's a great piece on some of the amateur championships now they are going on at the moment. It's hot and heavy now with Walker Cup selection coming down the road. And of course, we're going to talk about the USPGA, the fourth major of the year, our last major championship, and Rory's comeback. So it should be a great show. Yeah, and finish it off with... Uh, with the doc hopefully get a few tips for this week and I'll make a few bob maybe that's great and as usual you can contact us on limitlessmedia.ie forward slash out of bounds at twitter.irl or catch us on Facebook we look forward to your comments and opinion so Gary Shane Lowry we've been talking about how good this guy is for a long long time and I think that possibly he maybe didn't believe it himself um not that he didn't believe it himself, but certainly didn't want people talking openly about it. Um, but he delivered in style last week at what was a very, very big event on the US tour. He did, and it's it's a, a realisation of, I guess, what all his friends and family and, and fans like us, you know, thought it, that he was capable of. He's had a, a really good season. Uh, he... You know, made a made a bold decision. I think at the start of the year to play less, not to start in on the European tour in the Middle East, and started Tory Pines, had a top ten there, um, did well at the AT and T, and had his usual good week at Wentworth, um, and then a big big finish at the US Open, top nine finish, and he had a realistic chance on Sunday. Then he comes home and opens up with a couple of sixty sixes at the Scottish Open and. And faltered at the weekend, and as you say, there was a lot of hype about him going into the Open Championship, and he tried to play it down. I don't think he's. I think Shane is just such a regular bloke. He's such a a normal guy, and he realizes how tough the game is, and possibly thought that you know people were getting ahead of themselves, and he got probably a little sucked into that on the negative side. But to, to for his next start to to win like he did on Sunday in the you know the enormity of that mm. tournament can't be underestimated and, and the style and yeah and drama he did it with was and flawless. you know you've got to make your luck there's no doubt about it oh yeah yeah he, there were a couple of moments there were very critical shots like on 10 and even on 18 uh, and, and he, he delivered in style but I always remember when I watched him winning the amateur I was fortunate I was commentating with RTE at the time um, watching him win as an amateur in Baltrain in, in 2009 <clears throat> and the conditions that day were, were very poor. It was a tough golf course. Yeah. It was very wet. And coming down the stretch as an amateur, you could imagine he was feeling the pressure all the more. Yet he had the presence of mind. He was hitting shots that you wouldn't expect an amateur to hit in uh-huh. that he was playing the right shots at the right time. He, the variety of his shot-making skills were there for everyone to see. And he won it so impressively. And since then, I've really spent a lot of time following him. And I have no doubt about his abilities. You've got to remember that Shane has been following in the footsteps and playing with Rory McIlroy all through his career. Uh-huh. And in his amateur career, he, he was competing regularly with, with, with McIlroy. Uh, and McIlroy has moved on to a new stage. 
And I think that Shane belongs in that same stage. He's now the 19th uh, ranked player in the world. Uh, I don't think that that flatters him by any stretch of the imagination. He's got a, he's got the power which you need in today's game. Yeah, plenty, plenty of power. He's got great short game skills. And more importantly, I think that now he actually knows that he can compete on the PGA Tour. He can play with the world's best players. And as he's becoming more relaxed, he, we're now beginning to see the real Shane Lowry emerge on a tougher stage, which suits him. I think the the big thing with professional golf is a lot of guys are out there and they work hard and they play well and they're good players and and they all believe that they can win. But the difference is until you actually get over the line in those big events, it's never truly reinforced and you always have that lingering doubt and the subconscious is a very powerful thing and, and coming down the stretch in these events, because Shane has been close, he really has to, to doing some big things and, and not really gotten over the line, which is a you know, a source of huge frustration, but until you actually go and do it, then you truly can't believe it's just, it's a hope more so than a belief system. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the putt, you know, because I I was just nervous watching it because I just wanted him to win it Mm -hmm. and I get it. It's a bit of an Irishism to kind of think, oh, he's not going to do it, you know, because you're just nervous for him to win. But the, you know, the, the chip on 17 was brilliant. So difficult, so easy to to get that wrong when your hands are shaking. And then a downhill left to rider, you know, and he just rolled it in. Okay, he pulls his tee shot down the last. Who cares? But, you know, and a, and a brilliant second shot. He's trying to hit a front right and he pulls it, which what you're going to do because you're full of adrenaline and, and you're still kind of half thinking flag, but you're not. And he, he caught a break. Mm-hmm. But you have to, can't, you, you cannot win, you know, unless you do a Rory at a US Open and go out and destroy the field you have to have an element of luck over the course of 72 holes but the the great thing about it was you had Bubba Watson who's a unique talent and Shane Lowry who's just you know he's a Sam Snead he's a, mm. he's a swinger mm. he manoeuvres his ball beautifully and the guys were hitting bad shots but it was it was almost back to Seve days you know it's more fun almost mm. seeing guys doing it out of the trees and it was it made for fabulous viewing and and then you know to knock it on the green the last roll in the putt and you can just see his genuine delirium really when he when he realised that he had done it and it won't sink in for, for many months to come mm. but he really is now where where his game deserves to be I guess Absolutely and I think that one of the most impressive things that, that I took out of this was that he has learned from these close experiences uh, because Coming down the stretch when he had, he had actually put himself in the lead, it was a case of, do I push forward? Do I defend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's continued to remain aggressive. Sure, there was a bit of luck riding yeah. on it, but he made his luck on the day and he, and he needed to make his luck on the day. But I think more importantly, he didn't retreat. He, he didn't attempt to try and defend for six or seven holes, which you can't do at this stage. He, he stepped yeah. forward, he kept playing aggressive golf, he kept taking on shots, and he backed himself that his short game was strong enough. And I think that in that situation going forward, there aren't going to be many bigger events than this event, mm. except for the major yeah. championships. Yeah, that's it, yeah. But coming down the stretch, he will be able to, do, he will be able to recount this experience mm-hmm. now, and he'll be able to say, I have done this before. 
You look at Thomas Bjorn coming down the stretch in an open championship. You look at Lee Westwood. You look at very famous players who yeah. haven't delivered coming great, down the stretch. Great players too. Yes, great, yeah. great players. Yeah. But but what we can say is that Shane Lowry has delivered when it mattered. And when we now talk about him in the context of winning major championships, yeah. he now is in a position, in my opinion, to go ahead now and get to the next level again, which is to compete and to compete regularly for major championships. I think that the thing I enjoy the most about it, and I remember chatting to Rob Lee about this one time, about guys that look at leaderboards and guys that don't look at leaderboards. And, and Rob is strongly of the opinion you don't really win in that sense if you don't know exactly what's going on and what you need to do. And there's a couple of players, you know, top players at the moment that don't look at leaderboards, but Shane does and Shane did. Mm-hmm. And he knew exactly what was going on the whole time. Because I remember when I... I do well in the Irish Open and a Darren Manor. I, I started looking at leaderboards at the fr- front nine holes and then got out of my elements and I didn't look on the on the back nine. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's probably why I didn't, didn't win golf tournaments. But the fact that he took on that pressure to know what was going on and, and still delivered, I think it's, it's huge credit to him. I think the big thing moving forward for him is that he... He does it his own way. He's got his team around him. I think it's very important at the moment. And I remember when, I remember Paul Carrington saying to me, he played with Paul Laurie a couple of years after he had won the Open at Carnoustie. And Paul had hit a bad shot. And he goes, oh, that's not the shot of an Open champion. He had put all this extra pressure on himself. I think it's, he has to revert back to what works for him. Still keep it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Do his thing. Live his life as he does because that's what works. He doesn't now have to go into this different mentality that, oh, I'm now a world golf championship winner and I need to do things differently. He has to, and I think that's the hardest thing for professional golfers to have a long and successful career. If what you're doing works, keep doing it. It's the hardest thing to keep doing the same thing the whole time. Mm. And I think if Shane sticks to that, I think we, we can have a situation where he will have a career, he will win probably in the mid teens. And and hopefully a slice of luck, maybe a major here or there along the mm-hmm. way. But it's what he does works, and mm-hmm. that's it's really important to stick in that mindset and not feel that he has to do something that that is out of his element. Mm. I agree. Uh, I think he went to America this year, um, very fit. Okay, so when you look at Shane Lowry, you mightn't say he's very fit, but he is actually very fit given the fr- his his natural frame size. But I think more importantly, he played in, 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 in against tougher fields more regularly. Yeah. And I think that he realized this is a better environment for me to compete in because it challenges me more. And I think that going forward, he now is in a position where he can control his schedule. He has a, he has a two-year yeah. exemption on the PGA three. Tour. Three-year, three. sorry, three-year yeah. exemption on the, on, the, on the PGA Tour. He can control his schedule. So he can decide, I want to do a, I want to do a West Coast swing. I want to come back into America for the FedEx Cup and, and, and the, and the uh-huh. majors and so on. And, and that's very, very important because he can, by being able to plan, he now knows for definite what he's going to be doing yeah, day in, day years. out for three years. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and... Given the lucrative nature of the PGA Tour, it means that he's going to be racking up world ranking points all the time as well. So we can almost, you know, assuming that his form continues, we can guarantee that he's going to be in the top 50 for for quite a considerable amount of time to come. So a lot of very good positives out of it. 
One of the other things that came out of this uh, was the possibility, and in fact, the the fact that the the there's a clash of fixtures yeah. now next year. The WGC now clashes with the French Open next year, um, and I think that now means that those people chasing Ryder Cup uh, yeah. have decisions to make. Uh, so Shane Lowry defending uh, his Bridgestone title and world ranking points uh, now has to make a decision. Uh, do I play in the Bridgestone or do I chase World, uh, sorry, Ryder Cup ranking points at the French? For, for, at the French? Yeah, I, I think the Olympics is um, has really upset the schedule in a certain certain degree. I don't think I think historically we're we're used to a build up for the majors in the summer. There are are big events. Um, the Olympics really has upset the calendar. So we now have a situation where the French Open and Bridgestone, because it's been moved in June. Are clashing. The European Tour are trying to protect their own, so the Bridgestone's not going to count on the Order of Merit. It's not going to count for Ryder Cup. I think Shane has to go back and defend. Absolutely, because you have to. You know, you've you've earned that right to do that, so you have to absorb that and do it. World ranking points and the schedule he's going to play. If he keeps playing at this standard, he's, you know, a, a big chance to make the Ryder Cup team. But I think it's very important. I mean. You know, who knows in golf? Jack Nicholas always said, you're only as good as your last shot. So he has to go back and enjoy that moment of... I remember when he when he won the Irish Open in 09 and he played in Bridgestone and he was devastated at the end of the week because he felt like a fish out of water and it was he thought the golf course was so demanding mm-hmm. he couldn't get around it. And now we have a situation where he's matured, his game has matured, and he won the golf event, but... I can understand the European Tour protecting themselves and there's always been a case if, and I think it's such an uneven playing pitch, the European Tour. You have a guy coming out of tour school and Andrew Coltart and I lost our cards around about the same time and went back to tour school and got them back and then the following year Andrew worked out in the schedule for the level of prize money. The guys out of Q school were playing for 38% of the pot. Mm. So it's, it's brutally unfair on the regular European tour guys that these events can't. I don't think it's a bad thing that it doesn't. If the guys want to go over and play for the money and make the money, that's fine. But it's very, it's very uneven. Like you have guys say, you know, maybe Richie Ramsey's and well, not so much Mark Warren, but guys in the, in the kind of 60 to 120 in the world rankings. You know, they like seeing Poulter and these fellas because they're getting into all these events. They have such a head start on them and it, you get a lot of regular good European tour players having four or five top tens a year in small events. You just can't compete because mm. if you play half decent in these events, you're getting 60, 70 grand just for turning up, mm. you know, which in s- some events in Europe is a third or fourth place finish. Mm. I think maybe this might set a precedent in the future that you know, maybe they shouldn't all count because the European tour build up the prize fund, oh, we're playing for 100 million this week or this season, mm. but you've got four you got four 10 million majors and you got three world, world events. You know, that's that's nearly half the pot already. So it's it'll be curious to see if if it's a once-off or, or if it keeps playing out like this. Well, I think there's a number of factors there. I think that you're, you're absolutely right in terms of what you're saying. I think that uh, the, the best players will invariably play uh, their own schedule and mm-hmm. the right a couple almost fall into place for them. So therefore, I see no reason why Shane Lowry won't be defending his title next year. I also uh, am curious to see if the French Open goes to this position, 
what happens to that spot uh, in terms of the, the golfing calendar and the European Tour vis-a-vis the Irish Open and so on comes a bit close to the Open Championship. Uh, but more importantly, I think that the European Tour isn't strong enough to cut its nose off. I think that yeah, it, there, there are yeah. exceptional uh, reasons why this would uh, move into this slot and, and why the Bridgestone wouldn't count for, for perhaps next year. But I think going forward... Yeah, I think it'll revert uh, back. To exactly. In terms of world championships, in terms of the tours working together, uh, they'll be on, the European Tour will be under a lot of pressure to actually make it a counting event going forward. Plus the thing as well is the Ryder Cup is on the French Open golf course. So yes, it's, yeah. you know, I mean, if you think from the organisers' point of view, if they can't get at least... 15 potential of the 12 guys teeing it up that week. I mean, you're kind of wondering, well, what's the point here? We're now moving on to the amateur section and there's a lot of uh, things we want to talk about today. We want to talk about the fantastic results of some of our amateurs in the European Amateur Championship recently. We want to talk about the girls' British amateur. Uh, the qualifiers are, are just over. Obviously, the home internationals are on in Royal Portrush this week, and we're doing a Walker Cup watch as well. So, Gary, if we start with the European amateur results there just last week, some great performances by Irish players. It was. I mean, Gary Hurley had a, you know, a big chance to win. He played fantastic golf. And just, you know, came up one shot short. Italian kid, Mazzioli, probably the wrong pronunciation. He shot 68 final round just to, to nip past Gary. And Gavin Moynan, too, finished in, in third position. And we like we'd five guys in the in the top 20. You know, really another outstanding performance on, on foreign soil. And Paul Dunn, superhero from the Open Championship, finished in 11th. But Robin Dawson, who... From Faith Leg is kind of just sneaked into the home internationals this week. He finished in sixth position. So of the, you know, the kind of star five players, we'll be talking a little later on about Walker Cup. We've got another young kid coming through, and you know, it's and it's. I think the thing to note from this tournament was it was played in Slovakia, Slovakia even, on a on a course where they played the Challenge Tour this year in sixteen under par on the Challenge Tour and as we know the ch- standard is very high on the Challenge Tour and 19 under won, won the amateur event so it's you know this I wouldn't say the gap is narrowing but from the point of view of these kids and some of them not all of them turning pro they're really you know you get in that mindset of I, I can shoot that number it's um, it's great for them uh, looking forward to maybe end the season no, I, I, I was staggered by some of the uh, scoring and you've got to remember that uh, Gary Hurley shot level par in the last round still finished yeah. 18 under par so I mean really remarkable scoring but w- what's even nicer is that we're now looking at depth in an Irish team depth behind that Irish team guys pushing each other on guys believing that they can achieve on a bigger stage than an Irish stage and they're going around the world and they're regularly winning tournaments and I think that that bodes very, very well not only for uh, amateur golf going forward but obviously their potential professional careers going forward because these guys are going to have to travel to win going forward. They are and and the funny thing is that you know, if you saw Alan Lowry won the Mullingar Scratch Cup which historically was the kind of guys that won that went off you know, back in our day and turn pro or whatnot, but they can't all turn pro. I don't want them all to turn pro. You'd like to think that some of them would stay, but the way the amateur scene is now structured, it's 
it's not structured to play in championships and just have fun with your golf. It's all geared for the for the young kids to turn pro. So it, even though it is great, it's channeling, uh, channeling a lot of these kids into an avenue of, oh, I nearly have to do it. And the reality is we've got six or seven really good players, but they're not all going to make it because just statistically, that's just the way things work out. And I think they need a lot of good guidance and a and a reality check for some of them too. You know, you're a good player and you've got some talent, but you know, do you want to make this your job? Do you know mm. what that entails? Do you know how your life is going to, you know, the the road is going to go down? Because mm. they're they're very pampered and very well looked mm. after in in the amateur scene. And you know, when you get into that that psyche of you know, I'm the top cat. Everything is taken care of. They go to tour school and some of them won't mm. get through. Then you get on the mini tours and mm. and it's it's not all the glamour that they think it is, but at the moment we have you know, we have a couple of kids to shout about, but mm. it's it's a reality check too mm. for some of them. I think that in hindsight we can look back and 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 talk a lot about that and I think that um there's no doubt about it. Um I, I lament the career amateurs that, yeah. that they're not around any longer. It seems they Pat, seem to Pat be getting Murray. younger and younger. Yeah, that's it. Um but the reality of it is is that there are so many other factors than just simply playing golf mm-hmm. associated with being a tournament professional. Um travel is one aspect of it. The whole cost associated with participating the fact that you know you're moving out of an a, a an umbrella environment where you're supported with the amateurs to a, an isolated uh, participant yourself, where you are literally out there fighting your way by yourself in 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 a totally strange environment. <clears throat> Having said that, I think it's wonderful that we are producing this caliber, this uh, of player nowadays. Um, certainly far superior to anything that was would have been there in my in my time. Uh, and, but and, and more importantly, I think that uh, the reality of it is, uh, you know, the reality of it is, is that they need to take a hard look at their stats. They need to take a hard look at comparisons in terms of themselves and challenge tour and touring professionals and understand that if their stats are dramatically worse, OK, consistently in terms of their scoring yeah. averages and so on, then the chances are they are not going to succeed on the professional <coughs> tour. And take, uh, taking yeah. all the emotion out of the equation, are there enough? Is the GUI, for example, giving them this platform to sort of say, OK, I'm going to mentor you, but at the same time, mentoring might be a case of you're not ready quite yet. Let's work on a few key areas of your game and then turn professional. And when you turn professional, there will be a support mechanism there for you as well. And I'm not sure that's not there at the moment. Right now, all of these people are are running on adrenaline and emotion, and that's just not simply good enough to survive in the professional ranks. And I think a lot of the parents, too. I think a lot of the parents, I've seen it, are get, get way too involved in this equation. And, and possibly, and it's not there at the moment, there needs to be a buffer where, you know, these people know better because for whatever reason and not an emotional decision, oh, my Johnny is going to be the next Rory McIlroy. And I think... It's a big job for the GUI to try and manage because you can't, you can't promote these kids, promote these kids, and then let them go off to the pro scene and, and die on their feet for a couple mm. of the years, years. One or two guys get through and lament the fact that, oh, they came through the GUI system. If you don't have a buffer to mine them, to protect them when they make that break and then get into the scene, because 
okay, there's a lot of management companies out there and there's a lot of good management companies and there's a lot of really bad management companies. But a lot, most of the management companies, all they care about is cash. Mm. That's not the issue for these guys mm. turning pro. They need, need to be minded. Mm. They need to be looked after. They need to understand who they are mm. and, the, and the profession that they're going into. Mm. There isn't that... Mm. There's a gap in the market in the mm. sense because that's not there at the moment. And that's why we have a situation because you know what it's like, John. <clears throat> these things come in cycles. We have a great little great batch of players at the moment. In two or three years' time, we won't. That's mm. just the way mm. it is. Absolutely. But we need to mind the talent that we have now and nurture it. Well, to all you parents out there, uh, there's a free uh, advice bureau here, myself and Gary Murphy. I'd be very happy to give any free advice. Uh, it'll be honest, um, but it'll be... Uh, one with, filled with a lot of experience. Moving on to the younger generation, the girls' British amateur is on at the moment, and it's great to see that we've had four qualifiers for the match play stages. Uh, Neve McSharry led the qualifiers from an Irish perspective, and she's from Lurgan. Olivia Mahaffey from Royal County Down, Julie McCarthy from Forest Little, and Annabelle Wilson, a young rising star from Lurgan as well. So it's great to see the younger talent coming through here. Now they're in the match play stages, and as we all know, Match play is a very funny game. They could they could progress very very quickly and find themselves, you know, winning a, a, what would be a very very prestigious title. Oh, it'd be enormous! And and the great thing with it with the young girls is they've such a, a brilliant role model in Leona Maguire. Like we have the best amateur in the world mm. on these aisles, and and the and that's what happens. You know, it's no different to Porik winning the majors and the guys coming after and winning more majors. The the girl the young girls have been inspired by the Maguire twins and and we've got a chance this week you know realistic and not to put too much pressure on them if they can get a good run and and win a couple of games and more importantly learn from the experience Mm. but it's great to see so much uh, talent coming through at the moment and obviously the home internationals are in Port Rush this week big week for for the Irish players uh, who are looking to consolidate their chances for Walker Cup selection but more importantly I think even winning on Irish soil for an Irish player is a huge thing it is, and it's funny, it's the 20th anniversary of, of my playing in the Home Internationals in Royal Portrush. <laughs> and my friend has taken a serious battering since then, but, you know, it's it's wonderful. I mean, there's there's some new caps this week, and then you have a couple of old-timers, even though they're only 21 or 22, but, you know, Gavin Moynan are kind of, Gavin Moynan and Jack Hume are two standout guys, um, didn't make the trip, didn't get into the US Amateur didn't make the trip, so they're staying at home. But there's new caps um, for Stuart Grant, who's won two championships this year. Yeah. Done really well. Colin Fairweather, who was beaten in the final of the South, I think. And Dermot McElroy, who's you know our number six guy, I guess, at the moment. So hopefully they can steer the guys through. Also, Alex Gleason, it's his first cap. And it's, you know, we've been there. It's a wonderful experience to to put on, put on the jersey for the mm-hmm. Home Internationals. Mm-hmm. It's a great vibe. And, and, you know, you make friends for life too with the guys mm. you play with and the guys you play against. And I think history would also show us that uh, if you, even if you look at the Ryder Cup, a lot of the times the rookies are the ones who actually provide the points. Um, so there's nothing wrong with being a rookie on any team. Uh, certainly, it, it, <coughs> in my opinion, it doesn't necessarily weaken it because you're bursting with um, ambition and you're 
bursting to, to prove your, yourself. And I think that in many ways, uh, the, the contribution often is better than the, the more uh, established players who probably are going through the motions a little bit. Oh, yeah, it's, it's the guys down, you know, it's the kind of Philip Walton scenario from, from the Ryder Cup. It's the guys down the bottom of the list in the singles in the mm. afternoon. They're the ones who have to endure all the pain because generally the matches come down. You know, you're out playing number one or two, you can just fly around and, and do your thing, but it's, it's the guys at the tail for most of the pain. And finally, Gary, just very briefly, on a Walker Cup watch, you see that the US have already picked five players. Um, but more importantly, from our own perspective, are you still confident that we have five players very much in contention for Walker Cup? Uh, no one's slipping away. <coughs> We're talking about Paul Dunn, Cormac Sharvin, Gary Hurley, Gavin Moynihan and Jack Hume. I think it'll be a travesty if we don't get the five on. Mm. I think Cormac's performance is this That's year. never been achieved before, Gary. No. I don't think, we've never even had four in the Walker Cup yeah. team before. I mean, I remember in, in 91 when when Paul and, and Garth and, and Porter got picked, it was, you know, astonishment the fact that we got three guys on. But I genuinely think if you look at the stats, if you look at the performances this year, I mean, Gavin Moynan was our, is our kind of star guy in the sense he was he's the only guy returning. He was on the team two years ago and played with Kevin Phelan and acquitted himself very well. He's got that experience. And then, you know, the guy's been so consistent all year. I think it'd be travesty if we don't get five. Well, hopefully that will be the case and we'll be watching that. Obviously, the Walker Cup taking place in September. We've gone out of bounds with John McHenry and Gary Murphy. Contact us on limitlessmedia.ie. Follow us on Twitter at Out of Bounds IRL. And like us on Facebook. And so our next segment of the show is around the US PGA Championship, which is on Whistling Straits in Wisconsin this week. Uh, great golf course, third time the uh, the PGA has been there, 2004-2010. Peak die design, 7,500 yards. I think the, impress the impressive thing here is that you're looking at so many bunkers, over 1,000 bunkers, they reckon, on the yeah. golf course. Um, but a spectacular venue. Again, a Lynx look uh, type mm -hmm. style golf course, but certainly not, and it doesn't play like that. Um, but a golf course that... Rory McIlroy is making his comeback in and a golf course that he played very well, finished third there in 2010. So as much as he has rustiness, are there expectations there? Can we have expectations for him? I, I don't think he he would play this week if he didn't think that his game was in, in decent order. And he has alluded to the fact that, you know, okay, the big thing he's lacking is, is tournament practice and game time. But he played three rounds last week on his own with just one one ball. Played, you know, card in his pocket type of thing. And he's played two practice rounds already just with one golf ball. So he's trying to get into that that lonely feel of it's just me and, and that little white thing. And and that's that's really good practice because it's a, it's a complete waste of time him standing on the range for six hours hitting balls to, as we've seen, that's what Tiger does. Mm. That's the, the trap he's fallen into. Rory is such a, a wonderful, naturally gifted player, aligned with huge, you know, discipline and hard work to groove his swing. But it's it's a swing that doesn't need a lot of a lot of tinkering with. 
He looks fit. He mm. looks the swing looks pretty. And similar. it's a golf course that favours strikers. If you look at the, yeah, the two, great, two great previous idea. winners, yeah. uh, you've got you've got Vijay Singh and you've got uh, Martin Keimer. And what what an, an interesting statistic it, it, there is that these guys were only averaged around the mid twenties in terms of putting that week, mm. but they were the they were averaged second or third in terms of hitting the most amount of fairways and the most amount of greens. So this is a strikers golf course where. Putting it on the green, anywhere in the green, is important. And I think that will help Rory. We, we, we all know that he can be flaky with his putter, but I think that you know Rory drives the ball so well, he should be hitting a lot of greens, and he, he, it will help him, as rusty as he is. Yeah. Plus, you know, I would argue it will help him that he's playing with Jordan Spieth and Zach Johnson because you know, there will be a, a <coughs> lot of determination. Oh, yeah. and, the, and the further the week goes and the more he stays and keeps himself in contention the more opportunity, the stronger he'll get, the more opportunity he potentially will have to win the championship. I think it's a huge factor that he's he's starting out with the two guys on 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 Thursday, Friday. And, you know, there's nothing better than that to narrow the mind. You know, and the last time they played together was at Sawgrass and Speed missed the cut. And that was kind of Speed's, you know, hype and arrival and his first face-off with McElroy and, and Rory, Rory Bossom there. And, you know, Rory needs to to get going now because Speed is seriously hot on his heels he's going for three majors on him on, in one year obviously <clears throat> didn't get Hogan's record but there's only two guys have ever done it in the history of the mm-hmm. game in one season Ben Hogan and Tiger Woods and he's got a chance to win to win three majors in a year and it's he was so unlucky at St Andrews he was you know just there it didn't happen but Speed's the man to beat this mm. week, and I think that was a huge factor in, in Rory getting... He must have worked so hard and been so disciplined in in that recovery mm. rehab process mm. to get himself looking... You know, because we saw the photos from the Scottish mm. Open, and to see him now, it just looks like he did a couple of months ago, so fair play. Well, thankfully, he is, he is a man who's well used to that in his camp, and that Steve McGregor, in the context that he used to be involved with uh, some of the premiership... Uh, clubs mm-hmm. uh, so he knows all about sprained ankles turned over ankles and so on and I have no doubt I think that Rory himself admits that he could potentially have played uh, in the Bridgestone but he didn't play in due to the advice of uh, McGregor so we've seen him run up and down the hills certainly yeah. uh, barring um, any trip or any kind of careless motion with his foot it seems like he'll be strong enough. He might be playing in a little bit of pain, but certainly it seems like he's going to be strong enough. And I think more importantly from Rory's point of view, um, he's defending a, a world's number one status as well yeah. this week. And I think so. He, th- th- there is a lot of, I suppose, motivation for Rory to play well this week. There certainly is. And as you said, it's, it's a ball strikers golf course. And I, I kind of feel at the moment, and I fancied Henrik Stenson strongly for St. Andrews. Henrik is... He's almost getting into that position now where he's he's sliding a little bit. You know, he's out to ninth in the world from second. You know, he still has huge aspirations to win majors, but for greens and regulation and ball striking, I mean, he's the number one guy pretty much in the States. Mm. This is a huge week for him to, to get back in there, get back up the rankings, because as mm. we know in golf, you know, it's all about weeks. He's a, he's a strong fancy for me, and I think... I just hope, hope, hope we get a European winner this week, really, because mm-hmm. the Americans have dominated the first three majors, and you can get into that little psyche. We got Ryder Cup coming next year. They look really strong. The Americans are coming, coming through. Davis Love is—he's 
going to have a pretty easy job, I think, come mm. next year. But I think from a European standpoint, you know, we've got some excitement coming through with Danny Willett, obviously. Fabulous performance to win after his Open Championship in Switzerland and with Shane last week. I think it might be a little bit of a big ask for Shane this week. It has to be emotionally draining mm. last weekend. But again, if you can keep yourself in there long enough, yeah. uh, coming down the stretch, he, he has positive experiences. So too does Jason Day. Uh, you know, won his last event in the Canadian Open, buried his last three holes to win the title, something which he hasn't shown in the past, uh, you know, in a new inner strength. Mm. I, I read about him afterwards, he was sort of saying that when he was coming down the stretch, how he was just telling himself just to stay there, it'll happen, it'll happen. And he almost patiently waiting for it, and sure enough, it did happen. And I think that that's possibly something that he hasn't shown in the past. He's he's tried to force issues, whereas a more relaxed Jason Day, we we know he has the pedigree, he's competing day in, day out. Um, Excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, yeah, I, I think that Day really is the real deal, and I think that he... He has the potential now to jump onto that next level. He's your guy. He's my guy. It's funny. I, I think I found. I remember playing the opening all three with Podrick and, and Darren, and they hadn't gotten over the line in majors at that stage. And I, I thought they put huge pressure on themselves to do well that week. Whereas, had it been the German Open, it would have been just a normal practice round. Their attention to detail was almost crazy. I thought too much. And I think. The Jason Days and the Stensons and the Westwoods, they need to be very careful. Like they have to, the hardest thing to do is they got to try treat these events like they're just regular mm, events. Mm. If it hype it up too much, I mean, you saw on the seventy second green how devastated Day was, mm. just leaving that putter roll mm. short, which is understandable. But it's you know if you as we all know if you can go out there and play as I always say, you know if you can play in a practice round. If you can play on a Sunday afternoon the way you play in a practice round on a Tuesday, it's a totally different game. And that's, I think, for the guy that gets over the line this week, it's going to, of course, it's going to care, but it's trying to, you know, not be writing your winner's speech, going down the middle of the back nine and just, as the, you know, a lot of guys say, just go enjoy it. And I think that's what Lowry brings to it as well. Mm. That's why mm. it's, uh, it's so endearing to watch. I think premium off the tee is huge this week because <clears throat> there's a, there is such undulation off away from the fairways. Yeah. Now the fairways are wide, but if you if you're if you're if you're not accurate off the fairway off the tee box, um, before it would be a case of chopping out from heavy rough. Now you now you you've got a lie that simply can't allow you mm-hmm. get, uh, advance the ball very far forward. So. Um, accuracy is going to be very very important. Obviously, um, once again. Tiger Woods is is there. He's participating. Four good rounds for me would be fantastic. A top ten finish would be would would be quite a a, a statement um, in terms of next year. Um, but I've been looking at his stats um, and consistently year in year out, he hasn't broken fifty percent in terms of accuracy off the tee box. Astonishing, uh, it, which is which is crazy when mm-hmm. you when you compare him to somebody like a Stenson who's up around the seventy two seventy four percent mark. Uh, yeah. You know, to be giving away that level of an advantage, and maybe that shows us. You know, that when I think we ourselves commented that when he was playing the Open Championship, we couldn't believe. Um, you know, his game plan over the opening holes, how conservative yeah. it was. He obviously himself doesn't believe that he can hit the ball straight enough, uh, and if he, and certainly whistling straights, if he can't keep the ball in the fairway, he's got no chance. 
and I think this this course is as well. It's kind of the fairways are key here because there's a lot of there's a lot of fast tracks. Mm. There's a lot of cambers, and if you cannot get that ball to to pitch in the fairway, you're going to lose. You know, it plays at seven five, but you're going to lose and give up a huge amount of yardage. Mm. And just the way the game is going at the moment, you can't be going in. You know, missing a missing a fast track on a fairway and going in with four iron mm. and guys are hitting eights and nine irons. It's just it just can't compete. So driving is yeah. is key and, and greens and reg is key. That's why I like Stenson. Yeah. No, I, I I think that's a good call because I think that Stenson there's one thing is going to guarantee you and that's accuracy off the tee box. But I think that I also agree with what you just said there. You look at someone as powerful as Shane Lowry didn't even carry a three wood last week in Firestone, hit driver all week long in and what is a very very tight golf course. Um, you know, and if the powerful guys are advancing it that far up the fairway, then you know you pull out an iron. You're you're giving away insane advantages to to yeah. what are the best it's, players in the it's world. It's not going to affect you for one round or or nine holes, but over the case of seventy two, it's exhausting to watch. You know, some guy pummel it in front of you and, and have you know a lot of loft in his hand. Okay, and who's who's the outside guy? Who's who's someone that you think could just jump out of nowhere? Make a run at this championship, uh, maybe not win it, but certainly make a run at it. He's not an outside guy, but I, he is outside in the betting. Danny Lee, Danny Lee has been on fire. I mean, he won the Greenbrier. He came out of the amateur scene as a US champ, US amateur champion. Won down in South Africa, loads of hype, and then it didn't happen for him. Got his head down, went to the states, did the web dot com, got through, and he's gone <clears throat> winning Greenbrier, third in the John Deere. Fourth of the Quicken Loans and sixth last week. I mean, at a hundred to one, I wouldn't say you're buying money, John. But I mean, he, and I think he's in that bracket of. It's a bonus territory to play in a major. It's exciting. It's not oh, I have to win this, and at times that little more relaxed mentality, you know, he might be. He might be a guy that that could come through if he stays on the form. I mean, each way is a bit of value. Yeah. But here's my guy who I think could have a top 10 finish this week and it'll be a welcome top 10 finish and that's Graham McDowell. He's beginning to turn the corner. He's beginning to get a bit of form. Uh, it's not it's not his type of golf course uh, but what we do know about Graham McDowell is that he's a, he's a competitor and he's a fighter and now that he is on a vein of form we know that when he is boiling uh-huh. he tends to keep it going for a period of time. So hopefully... Um, a good week last week would be followed by an even better week this week and he'd be back where he belongs because McDowell is that type of competitor who's capable of winning these championships. Yes, he needs a tougher golf course than this one uh, in terms of accuracy and premium of accuracy off the tee box. But it suits him, it suits his game um, and more importantly, uh, I think that uh, hopefully he'll continue to build some bridges and, and get back to where he belongs. Well, John and I have given you our our tuppence worth on the USPGA Championship this week and who who we fancy might uh, produce performance. But our resident tipster, Donald Hughes, who is somewhere around the French Alps at the moment, was on to us earlier today, and, and this is what his opinions are. With Jordan Spieth at 6-1 to one for the 2015 USPGA Championship, the real value looks to be Dustin Johnson at 12-1 to one in the win market. Johnson was unlucky not to get into the playoff here in 2010, and he was a cumulative 11 under for just the par fives then. Expect him to be right in the mix after a good summer and tying second at Chambers Bay. Now, my top five to watch for the 2015 USPGA Championship. Well, Jason Day at 14-1 to one is now the 
nearly man of the majors over the past couple of years and he has everything going for him heading into Glory's last shot in Wisconsin. He played here in 2010, he acquitted himself well and finished tied 10th. After a tied 9th at the US Open while ill, Dave followed it up with a tied 4th at the Open Championship and then got his win in Canada. He's in great form heading into the event. Now, regular season winners always seem to front up at the PGA Championship, and with Ricky Fowler successful at both the Players' Championship and Scottish Opens, I think he has a great chance from 20 to 1. Also at 20 to 1 is Bubba Watson. He averaged 327 yards off the tee in 2010, just lost out to Martin Keimer in a three hole playoff, and will be relishing a return to this venue. He won the Travellers' Championship recently, had a solo second in Canada, and is banging for him. My fourth pick is Zach Johnson. The bookies do not fancy Zach's lack of power off the tee. They have him pitched at 45 to 1. But Zach was tied third here in 2010, playing the course all his own way. And remember too that history beckons for Zach Johnson. He can join Jordan Spieth as a multiple major winner in 2015. Do not write him off. My final pick is Brooks Kupka. Great value at 50 to 1. He's a very long hitter, a good putter. He's been on great form since tying third at the St. Jude Classic. I think he has a great chance this week. Those are my top five PGA Championship tips. As always, bet responsibly, follow Golf Bitter on Facebook and see you all next week. So thank you for listening to the Out of Bounds podcast today. Uh, delighted to be back, uh, back from a rainy Kerry. Thank you very much, Gary. Thanks, John. Yeah, it was, it was a good show today and huge excitement. There's so much going on in the golfing world this week and we'll look forward to reviewing it next week. So much more to come. So thank you very much and don't forget, uh, you can contact us on limitlessmedia.ie forward slash Out of Bounds, on Twitter at outofbounds.irl. And of course, you can catch us on Facebook and we look forward to your comments every week. Bye.